everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Finance. We are going to discuss everything that has went on this week in finance. This is going to be another jam-packed episode, so not too sure how long it's going to go, but got my water here. That way I'm able to speak clearly. Um, and I just want to also mention before this episode gets started, if you enjoy this series, if you've enjoyed it thus far, go ahead, drop a like down below. I, I really do appreciate it. You know, it helps get this out. I really want to be able to do this kind of full time at some point. So any and all support does mean the world to me. And a like would go a long way, boost this for the algorithm. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else, consider coming over to YouTube. I'm showing all the articles. You're able to get a little bit more visual of an experience. So if you're down for that, come ahead or come over and check it out. Um, this episode of This Week in Finance is sponsored by Zencaster. Zencaster has been sponsoring the last couple of episodes. been very appreciative of that. Um, they're a fantastic podcasting tool that allows you to record podcasts very, very easily. We were going to talk about that a little bit more later on in the podcast, so make sure to stay tuned, and let's get into This Week in Finance. So, the first story, Mr. Buffett. He is back at it. Uh, Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has bought $1 billion worth of Activision, Activision shares. And this was before the announcement that Microsoft was going to be acquiring Activision. So um, I have here on my notes, is Warren Buffett the GOAT? Yeah. Is he also probably involved in some way, a little bit of insider trading? Does someone know something that we, the public, didn't know? Also, probably. Um, you could scroll down here, and obviously, we all know that Bill Gates and um, you know Warren are good, good friends. But you could see here, Bill Gates, co-founder, had stepped down from both the board of Berkshire and Microsoft back in 2020. So this was definitely not something that was like, unless it was very strategically planned, it wasn't like exclusively set out to happen. Um, obviously these gentlemen know a lot more than we do, so they probably could have planned this and pulled it off and none of us would know any of the wiser. However, this has been under scrutiny by some people within the community. Do I think that it is some type of insider trading? That's hard to say. I mean, it would your best friend tell you that something was going to be happening at some point if they knew probably, does that mean that it is insider trading? Probably. Um, but there's nothing that we can do about that. But they rank fourth and sixth, respectively, among the world's richest people. So let's be honest. At this point, what does it really matter? What, what, what really is the net loss here that we're experiencing with these two doing something like this? Um, obviously, Warren has been known to purchase companies that are beaten down and battered. That is exactly what Activision was. They were beaten down and they were battered. So this really isn't out of the norm for Warren and Berkshire. Um, this is exactly up their alley. It's exactly what they do. They went ahead and purchased 14.66 million shares of Activision valued at $975 million. Basically, let's call it what it is, a billion dollars. Um, and the stock shot up after that. And uh, mid-January was trading at $95 a share. Um, yeah, 
this is this was definitely a big story this week. Something you know very very impressive. If this was not any type of insider trading, this just really continues to cement Warren's legacy. I mean, as he's aged, he's been able to get with the new school and stay up to date on what is exactly going on in the world of like younger people, so to speak. You know, gaming, Apple, technology, all these things that he's probably not too exposed to or familiar with. So if this was not insider trading, fantastic. Um, if it was. At this point, what are you going to do? He's already rich, so what's the difference? All right. Moving on to a little bit more um, state of the economy stuff. We had here uh, the Fed's uh, bullet. He was the St. Louis Fed president. He has said that the central bank's credibility is on the line. So he assumes that they need to start acting now and they need to start acting fast. So he wants to kind of front load this planned and strategic Uh, rate hike. We know it's happening. We know it's going to happen at some point. We're not sure exactly how it's going to roll out. So it will be interesting to see how everything pans out. He thinks they need to do it sooner rather than later. I don't necessarily know where I sit on this. I'm not an absolute macroeconomic genius. What I do know and what I have read is that many times an overcorrection is what's necessary. So when you underreact to something, you're kind of like halfway trying to fix the problem and that doesn't necessarily work the best. So if they are going to fix the problem and they're going to try and do it, they might as well just go for it. That's kind of my sense. Rip the Band-Aid off and do it. Is it priced into the market already? That's kind of another question per investor that you might need to assume, especially when you're you know, keeping an eye on these Fed meetings, trying to kind of see what exactly is going to go on, what's going to happen with your investments. My plan always stays the same. Invest long-term, invest in solid quality companies and index funds. So right now I'm getting cheaper prices on some of these stocks and I'm continuing to plow money in and I will continue to plow money in throughout whatever goes on over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I'm just going to build positions and hopefully lower my cost basis as the world is going, or the markets rather, are just going to crap right now. So continuing to push forward, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Obviously, we all know that the Super Bowl was over this past weekend. Whether you tuned in or not, it has a ton to do with stocks, companies, and them just unloading massive amounts of money to have exposure. And something that I found very interesting is a lot of the brands that did go out and spend a ton of money didn't necessarily get as much on-screen time as some of these other companies did. You have Nike receiving 46 minutes of on-screen time, while Bose had just 8 minutes. Pepsi had double the exposure, um, or had double exposure with its brands, obviously Frito-Lay and the Pepsi Halftime Show. It's all kind of under the same thing. And then obviously Gatorade as well. I mean, there's literal bets on what color the Gatorade is going to be. It gets enough exposure. People just call sports drinks Gatorade sometimes. So I'm pretty sure, you know, it's okay. One that we've talked about before, SoFi. Obviously, the name of the stadium is SoFi Stadium. Um, sorry. Kevin Matthews, or Building Bread. I have his book right here. I just started reading it. Got through the, the first chapter. Fantastic book. Um, if you are listening to this, shout out. But, um, you know, he mentioned the name of the stadium doesn't actually matter. I mean, they have played in the Super Bowl in stadiums before that are named after 
different types of investment firms or public companies, it doesn't necessarily affect the stock price. It In this case, it's a brand new company with a lot of hype in California. It's kind of exposing the name, getting people accustomed to, oh, I've heard that name before, you know, something kind of like that. But it's not necessarily going to translate directly to a ton of members. I did tweet out, I would be interested to see if that did happen. Um, I think we'll get that data maybe a little bit further down the road, potentially in this March 1st, you know, um, earnings call from SoFi. Not 100% sure we will see. Obviously, they paid $625 million, you can see there, for the naming rights. Um, That's a lot of money. And they valued their one minute of in-game time at $3.5 million. So it's pretty crazy. However, they do say here, you know, these types of companies who are are getting exposure without having directly paid for ad time, um, Pepsi has the halftime show, but they also have, like we talked about, Frito-Lay and other things where they paid. um, And, you know, the Super Bowl is just this massive, massive thing where they're going to be talked about after because it's called the Pepsi halftime. Um, And they're going to continue to get people to search that online where the ad runs before saying this is the Pepsi halftime show. Um, So they're going to get that continued exposure. Gatorade consistently gets that exposure with the big Gatorade coolers that are sitting on the sidelines. Nike gets that with athlete shoes and gloves and all those other accessories. SoFi is going to get it because, of course, the game was played there. So any reference to the game, as you can even see just in here, they perform at the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show at SoFi Stadium. They're continuing to get that exposure. So it talks about here, you know, these water cooler conversations. I'm not exactly sure where it is um, in the article, but, you know, these water cooler conversations that are going on, you know, at work or in the office or wherever it might be, maybe on FaceTime after the game, people are mentioning these brands consistently just baked in within the names of what it's called, um, which is positive. I mean, it's positive for these companies, positive for exposure, positive for just generating buzz and people having talked about it. I do also think something that's very interesting is this kind of ties directly into streaming and television, sports in general. You start to see these new types of advertisements now for companies. They're no longer just trying to get in to the 30-second ad slot because there's a chance that you miss that ad slot as a viewer of the Super Bowl or of any sports game or TV show. You get up, you walk away, you go grab some you know, chips, a drink, whatever it might be, go to the bathroom, you're missing the commercial that this company poured its heart and soul into to create, spent millions, up to six, seven million dollars for a 30 second ad slot during the Super Bowl. And you were more concerned about your chips, which is no problem because you're the viewer and it's a commercial break. You should go get your chips. But for brands trying to get in front of you, that can cause a problem for them. And so instead, they're putting Names on the helmets. In the NBA, they're putting the little patch right here. Um, In ice hockey, obviously the boards will have advertisements on them that are consistently being shown both on television and in person. And then you also now in hockey will have the artificial logos that go on the ice. So it's not actually physically on the ice. Instead, it is just artificially put in there via television. And then there are other rinks, more like minor league rinks, um, that will include four big major brands right within the ice. That is continued exposure, and you're you're paying probably a premium to have that, but you're going to gain constant exposure for that. I mean, I can remember just in my head back in the day, the Detroit Red Wings, that's where I'm from here in Michigan, the Detroit Red Wings had the Kroger logo 
somewhere in the stadium. I don't even remember where it was, but I know it was there. It was baked into my brain that the Kroger logo was somewhere. And all they did was just embed that somewhere in the rink. And now I constantly associate Joe Louis Serena, the Detroit Red Wings, and Kroger as one. So that's very interesting. SoFi has also been doing this. Um, They've been putting themselves in TV. So whether that's a character talking about it in a show or someone holding a drink or a cell phone that has the application or whatever it might be on it, um, you know, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, all these companies can get their brands in front of people during the show. Not during the commercial break, not after the show, not sponsoring the show, but during the actual show itself, being embedded into the experience is a positive thing, um, both for the brands. Most of the time, it's not affecting the players, it's not affecting the people that are acting in the TV show, and it really doesn't affect your experience you know, as a viewer, because you're just going to be watching it anyway, and the brand gets some exposure that way. So I think this is definitely an interesting shift in advertising, um, both on the advertiser side as well as the viewer side and as well as the people that are participating in whatever is being used as an advertisement. Shout out to Amateur Investing. Richard, got my water. So speaking more on these true sort of advertisements, let's move in to two of the ads during the Super Bowl that I thought are noteworthy. The first one is going to be Coinbase. So let me see here if I pulled them up. I did. I pulled up a separate separate link here. So here's Coinbase's. And I want to touch on this one first. Coinbase captivated people. They really captivated people. If you can see here in this little picture, I'm not going to play it. I don't want to get copyrighted or, or anything like that. But you could see this old sort of like Microsoft DVD Um, logo style thing and they had this colorful little QR code bouncing around the screen right off the edges and of course they showed nothing previous to this so everyone's you know including myself I was like I was sitting there on the couch going oh I'm gonna fall right into their trap pop up grab my phone I go ahead and I you know I scan the QR code because I want to know what it is and Coinbase pops up and through that link they were advertising that you know I think through the 15th which would have been like two days after the Super Bowl they were going to be doing $15 a Bitcoin if you signed up using this link. That's A, a lot of money they're shelling out to gain consumers, but they were able to captivate those people very, very quickly with this commercial, so much so that it actually crashed their app. So they had such a positive reaction to their advertisement they spent millions on. They're going to shell out millions, potentially more, in Bitcoin, and their app crashed. (laughs) So maybe they did a little bit too good of a job or maybe they did too poor of a job on the back end, not preparing for all of this. But either way, it was a successful ad. Um, It drummed up some noise. I checked Twitter right after had like 36,000 people talking about this advertisement. Absolutely crazy. Now, do I have? No, I don't. So figures. I had a ad pulled up. I'm going to have to scroll all the way to the bottom of this website to check it out. But Polestar was another one that I saw, and it's going to be down here somewhere. Here it is. So Polestar took shots at other people. This is an electric vehicle company similar to, you know, Rivian and Tesla, um, or Tesla more so in the beginning of the days. You know, they're ramping up production, kind of all these new startup EV companies. They're all pretty much doing the same thing. And their strategy was they used the word no. And they said no compromises and, you know, no dirty secrets, no voiceovers, no this, no that. And, and no one was speaking it. It was just there. 
And they also said no conquering Mars, taking shots at Tesla and Elon Musk, who's trying to build a company kind of separate, obviously, from Tesla, but he still is running all of them, saying, yeah, we're we're making cars. You know, we're not messing around with other aspects. We're not trying to build out things to go to space. We are focused on vehicles. And then it kind of panned out to their number two, the Polestar 2, their performance car. So definitely an interesting concept. I thought it was the second most captivating um, advertisement that I saw. I missed a ton of other ones, but these are two that I did see. Um, And I have here as a little note, kind of some strategies in regards to this. Coinbase confused everybody with their ad. No one had any clue what was going on um, until you know they either scanned it or they saw at the end it was for Coinbase. And Polestar decided to just chirp people and make fun of other people and take shots. And it worked. So either way, both companies, fantastic ads, drummed up some noise. Um, obviously you had all the other big hitters that are always kind of around in the advertising space throughout Super Bowl, Pepsi, Lay's, Doritos. Um, I think there was a Pringles one or something else too, but I didn't really follow those. I thought these two were excellent. Moving forward, are tech giants failing? Are they, are they meeting pressure finally? Is there going to be some type of paradigm shift in the market? Obviously we have web three kind of continuing to push into our every single day lives you know companies like meta which are amongst these big ones formerly facebook they have started to make this shift now instagram and meta or i'm sorry instagram and facebook are under the meta umbrella they're still obviously meta's biggest assets um, until meta can really build out oculus and the quest and and all of these other you know metaverse style things it's really going to be their two biggest businesses so they're still facing this pressure but what you did see is a shift in the way that the company looks and feels and operates they're no longer kind of branding themselves as facebook they're branded as meta and they own these other assets and they're starting to transition into something new Um, you have some people here talking about how these You know, there's a ton of new digital platforms coming out and they're trying to take advantage of these new technologies. Who's going to end up winning? We don't know. There's going to be a ton of players, a ton of different competition in the market. I tend to believe that Google and some of the others are going to be fine. I mean, I, I personally can't see myself using too much other than Google. The furthest I've ventured away from you know, using the Google search engine is using Brave the browser, which again, I'm still searching via Google. I'm still here on YouTube, consuming YouTube. Um, and even touching on this a little more, I was watching a Colin and Samir video earlier, and they were talking about YouTube kids and how that is literally a completely separate platform, kind of maturing these children to grow up on YouTube away from, you know, standard television and movies and such. And they're just consuming YouTube and independent creators and how that's going to transition them into users of YouTube in the future. I mean, YouTube could be its literal own brand um, and it would have no problems whatsoever. So I don't necessarily see Google just falling off the face of the earth does it take a while for them maybe to, you know, kind of meet their time? Yeah, but I'm not sure when that time is going to come. But maybe it will. Maybe some of these other ones like Twitter, Snapchat, etc. will kind of fade. But I think these have kind of cemented themselves into our brains in ways that we don't know. 
I think this is different than MySpace, where it's just going to kind of be a phase. I think these are relatively here to stay, especially the big, big dogs um, like Google that have so much more than just social media or just like a technology program. I mean, they have hardware and software and cloud computing and assets like YouTube that are basically TV publishers. Yeah, they're good. Google's going to be okay. So before I continue to dive into more, I do want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, Zencaster. Zencaster, as I mentioned, is an all-in-one, easy podcast experience, and you can easily, very, very easily, mind you, just send a link to a guest, have them click on that link, join your call, and you now have you know live audio and video. You can sit in your little room before you hit the record button. You have some adjusting that you can do while you're recording that podcast, and then you also get the video and audio files all downloaded separately. So if you had two people in a podcast, you'd have four different files afterwards that you can do whatever you need to do with. Um, and that is fantastic. If you would like to check out Zencaster, go ahead, check the link down below. You're going to be able to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster. And when the link does support me, especially if you continue to stay with Zencaster. So I really do appreciate it, but go ahead, check them out, browse the website, you know, see how you might like things. There is a free version to go ahead and start out with, but if you do want to get that premium version, definitely take advantage of that link 30% off your first three months. Let's continue to push forward after, of course, the symbolism or the symbolic drink of water. Iconic. That's the word I'm looking for. All right. Disney. There seems to be a theme, and you're going to continue to see that theme as I push forward in this episode. A lot of reoccurring things that we have talked about before are going to be brought back up again. Um, so Disney is one of them. Disney has hired executive Mike White to lead the company within the metaverse strategy. They have not really provided too much details on exactly what this means for them, but I'm excited nonetheless. I don't really have too much else to touch on with this. It will just be kind of a wait and see game to see really what Disney comes out with. I foresee there being a massive opportunity for them with NFTs and collectibles. I mean, Disney already has an empire and they already have assets that are easily going to be transitioned into, you know, collectibles. Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, numerous other things. Pixar's its own other own other thing. Um, yeah, they have a massive opportunity for collectibles, more specifically NFTs, and more specifically NFTs with special utility to use at parks, um, cruises, or any other experience that you might have with Disney. So there's a massive opportunity there. There's another massive opportunity within the metaverse um, to create a world, to create a park, to create its own digital real estate um, as is being popularized, that term is being popularized. So we will see how they take advantage of this. NFTs, I think, is an easy one for them to capitalize on and quickly and in a very, like, well way. <laughs> that's that's a poor way, to, poor way to phrase it, but I think that can both consumers of this, um, people in the investment space, as well as Disney, can all capitalize off of them creating NFTs with real utility, and there's no true downfall to them doing that. I don't see a downside. Um, I do see downside with failed experiences um, or experiments in the metaverse and transitioning the, that, that metaverse into parks, but I don't really see a downside with NFTs 
Um, and I'm curious to see, who knows, maybe they'll create their own currency or something wacky like that. Um, leave it to Disney to try and, and really do something. Elon Musk, this guy's wacky. Um, he now owns more Tesla stock than he did a year ago. How does that work, right? <laughs> he's been in the news unloading. He tweeted on Twitter that you know he's going to be selling off shares, or I guess he, he really asked people, should he sell shares? And they decided yes, and so he did. Well, he was able to make more off of that. How, you may ask? Well, here we have this here. He had options exercises that converted the 22.8 million options into shares. The option had a strike price of $6.24, so he could pay $6.24 for each option and then get a share of Tesla stock. So this was awarded back in 2012 when he had 22.8 million shares worth um, about $28 billion. So yeah, he was able to basically capitalize in sum, he sold 15.7 million shares for $16.4 billion. But, or then he, I'm sorry, he gifted. So a total of 20.7 million shares went out the door, but he was able to get 22.8 million shares through that options exercise, leaving him with 2 million more shares at the end of the year. So he now has a 17% stake in the company um, and a lot of money to boot. Now, again, I I guess I kind of compare this to like, at this point, what does it really matter if he continues to get richer? I'm definitely not like anti Elon Musk or anti Jeff Bezos or anti any of these people. I think that managing these people um, in the best way that we can is definitely important, but they do add a ton of value to society. He's rich. He's very rich and he will continue to be very, very rich. Um, especially if SpaceX can continue to take off. So it will be very interesting to watch. Now, speaking of bringing things back up, like I mentioned, we are going to be talking more about streaming. Viacom CBS unveiled a new company name, and they will be called Paramount. Now, the official name will be, looking for it here, it's like Paramount Global or something. I'm just going to call it Paramount. I think everybody's just going to call the company Paramount. Um, Paramount Global. There we go. Referred to as just Paramount. So there we go. They already know that's what I'm going to be calling them. I think this is a good move simply from a naming perspective. I'm going to be honest. Viacom CBS is not a word I want to say or a or company name or phrase or acronym, or whatever it was. Um, it was not something that was like easily writable, easy to talk about. And this shift in their name also provides an opportunity for them to kind of shift the way they're doing business and really what they're focused on, which they've stressed that they see a huge global opportunity in streaming as a much much larger potential market than could be captured with the traditional TV and film. They have a very broad content offering. That was the words that they use. Um, Obviously, some really, really big assets if you want to pause and kind of take a look at some of these. I'm not going to go through them all. They do have a lot. I haven't really browsed their streaming service quite yet. I know that they have some bigger names on there. I think a lot of Nickelodeon stuff. Um, So it might be a good option for some children and families and stuff to kind of have, you know, a lot of different options. 
really the name for me, Viacom CBS, was like kind of just confusing. So making it a little easier, making it Paramount kind of just seems to be seems to be good. I mean, I don't really see anything bad with it. Um, but again, I don't know streaming. I, I was very bullish on streaming and, and I still am as a whole. But the problem is selecting a winner. It's going to be too difficult to figure out which one of these streaming platforms is really going to do the best. And even if they all stay around and there is no kind of consolidation within the space, then what does that mean for these companies individually? I don't think any of them are going to take off like they expect that they can because as consumers, we might be on Paramount Plus at one point for maybe a span of three months, then we hop off that and we get Hulu, then we decide we don't want that, we get Netflix, then we don't want Netflix, we get YouTube TV, we don't want YouTube TV, so we get HBO Max, we don't want HBO Max, so we get Disney Plus, like there's so many options and they're expensive. I mean, most of these are at least, I think, six, eight dollars at least, and those are normally the ones that are going to run with ads in them. So now you have to get up and purchase even a you know more premium version up to like $15 per month to have no ads. It I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily see how the space grows. What's the next step in streaming that can make everything more competitive without consolidation? I mean, obviously pricing is going to be a huge factor. Offerings are going to be a huge factor, but quite frankly, I'm not going to pay for all of the streaming services at one point. I might pick two or three maximum, and those are the ones I'm going to ride with. And if something's on another one, I'm going to get it for one month and then get off. So how are you going to keep me as a consumer on your platform? And really, you're looking to keep me exclusively because if I'm giving my money up somewhere else, there's an easy chance that I just decide to cut yours for the month and get on this this new one for the month. So how can you keep consumers? How can you become sticky as a company, as a streaming service, to where I won't just up and leave? Because it's easy to do that. I can do it right from my cell phone. I can hit boom, boom, boom. Now I'm unsubscribed, even though half of these things make it so hard to figure out how to do that. And then boom, boom, boom. And now I'm subscribed to a new one for seven, eight, nine dollars a month. And then the next month I just hit cancel or I buy it and I hit cancel right away so that you can't charge me again the next month. Um, and that cycle will continue. Talk to my girlfriend a little bit. I could see some form of like interactive experience, although that sounds very cheesy. You remember those books when we were younger and it was like flip to page 72 if you want to walk into the room and flip to page 85 if you want to go to the next door and open it. Um, maybe there's some type of interactive show with alternate endings and such, but to me, that kind of still seems cheesy even after I say it. So I'm not sure what this space is going to look like 10 years from now. I'm bullish on it as a whole. I think a ton of money is going to flow from traditional media and television into companies like YouTube, Netflix, Disney, and all of these other streaming services. I just don't know where that money is going to be. And for that reason, I'm really just putting my money into Disney because I know that Disney is much bigger than just Disney Plus, even though investors are valuing Disney Plus very, very, very strongly right now. So again, repeating the theme of, we've talked about this before, Ford's Mustang Mach-E beats Tesla's Model 3 as a Consumer Reports top electric vehicle for 2022. The Consumer Reports say that reliability data has shown that the Mach-E has very little problems. 
I know, again, I think I spoke about this before, Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD, MKBHD, sorry, wow, I said that really fast. He did an experiment, him and his team, they took, gosh, I don't remember the cars. It was a luxury vehicle, a Mach-E, and a Tesla, and they took them in this big circle, and the Tesla one, it just has a better charging infrastructure. The Electrify America, or whatever charges that were required to charge the Mach-E, were out of service a lot and had issues, so the charging really seemed to be the issue, not so much the vehicle, um, but it's really going to come down to battery life, and again, something that I've brought up before, here's my post on public. I mentioned here for the running back slot, this was a, a you know a Super Bowl style draft your own team of stocks. I said, select a stock you think will not fumble a massive opportunity. And you could see I put in that slot Ford. And I mentioned down here that Ford is a trustworthy running back. They're not going to fumble the opportunity they have to capitalize on the EV market. I think that they are going to be able to transition, to have people from Tesla, to have people from Apple, to have smart automobile brains that have been around for a long time. I'm being a little extra biased because I'm from Michigan, and that's where they started, that's where they are. But I think that they're going to be successful, and again, this is... In last episode, check out last episode. Maybe I'll link a link it up here somewhere. Watch it after this one if you haven't seen it already. As to why that's the case, I think that people that are driving Ford vehicles now will continue to want to drive Ford vehicles because Ford has a massive loyal customer base. People that drive Ford Explorers, Ford Edges, Ford Mustangs, Ford F-150s, they want to continue to drive those vehicles. And where are they going to do that other than Ford? They're not. So as everybody shifts to electric, these people who are driving these vehicles will continue to drive these vehicles in their electric counterparts. As long as Ford can make these vehicles make sense to these hardworking people, they will make the purchase because if they can charge the vehicle, if the vehicle is cheaper or if the, you know, the upkeep on the vehicle is cheaper, then that's kind of a no-brainer. As long as it functions the same way, it can get me from point A to point B, and it costs less money for me as a consumer, I'm in. So that's enough on that. Um, But I don't think that Ford is going to mess this up. I think they're going to be smart. They're going to be calculated. They understand what they're doing, and they're going to continue to do that as they push into this EV market and rival companies like Tesla, like GM, and like everybody else, Volkswagen, Toyota, all these other competitors. Um, And again, they are not competing in the luxury market of vehicles. They're competing more in the, the masses really, you know, again, Ford F-150s, normal, you know, SUVs and vehicle or cars. Um, that's really the space that they're going to be competing in. I don't think they're going to try and push the boundaries too much with higher end electric vehicles, but they can do that with their Lincoln brand as well. So we will see where all this goes, but I'm very, very excited for Ford. I might have to get a position in Ford. I was waiting for it to dip a little bit. I know it's dipped over like the past quarter or so. Let's see if we can't pull up the chart here. So we have $17.53 currently. Um, It is down about 3% over the past week, obviously down over the past month quite a bit, 30%. And over the last six months, see, that's where it gets me a little bit. It's up 31%, um, down about 10% in the quarter. So maybe I should continue to look into this company. Um, I mean, I know what Ford is, but maybe I should continue to look into their financials a little more, see if this wouldn't be a good position for me to start. And... Moving into really the last story that we have here, trusty water, 
Realty Income Corp. This is the company that pays a monthly dividend. They announced a $1.7 billion sale lease buyback of Encore in Boston Harbor. Now, Encore is a win resort. Um, so YNN, you know, the big Las Vegas name. Um, they went ahead and purchased the Encore building in Boston for $1.7 billion. Now, I'm going to be using some technical terms here. I'm going to be straight up with everybody. Um, you could see here, I looked up what lease back is because I didn't know before this article. So pardon if I mess up exactly what it is. And I went ahead and searched up what is a cap rate because I didn't know what that is either. And so I read ahead and I found it out or I found out rather the sale lease buyback transaction with Win is expected to be executed at a 5.9% initial cap rate. Okay. Hold on to that. Hold on to what that means. This includes a 30-year lease term with an annual rent growth of 1.75%. So this deal is $100 million. So let me slide over to this article. The annual rent is going to be $100 million. So Wynn owned this building, O, or Realty Income Corp., went ahead and purchased it from them and is now leasing it back to them for $100 million. Now, why would they want to do that? I looked that up too. Wynn needs assets. Wynn needs the cash, clearly. So they want that $1.7 billion in cash. They can afford to continue to lease out the building, and it's essential to their operation, so they're going to continue to do that. O, on the other hand, or Realty Income Corp., I'm going to just call them O for short. That's the ticker symbol. O is going to make $100 million a year. That will continue to go up at 1.75% a year. So it'll go from 100 million to $107.5 million every single year. I'm sorry, $101.75 million um, a year or for the first 10 years. And then the greater of either 1.75% or the CPI from the prior year capped at 2.5%. That's not as important. But $100 million a year, that's going up basically at 1.75% every single year for 30 years is what this is going to be happening for. So they will make their money back at least in 17 years. Okay. And the cap rate of 5.9% is exactly that. So if you go in Use your trusty old calculator here and you put in the $1.7 billion. All right, take that $1.7 billion. I'm sorry. We need to take first $100 million, divide that by the $1.7 billion. Okay, go ahead and divide that. And you get this percentage here, 588 two, three, five, whatever percent. So that is the cap rate. The 5.9% is how they are going to be making their money back. As you can see here, um, this is the rate of return on a real estate investment property. So they're going to be making their money back at a rate of 5.9%. And it's going to continue to grow because obviously they have this 1.75% boost. So this looks good for realty. Obviously they're expanding um, you know, their acquisitions kind of into this gaming industry. As I mentioned here, this is their first acquisition in this space and they pay a monthly dividend. They have continued to raise that dividend for a lot of months in a row. And I don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon. I would trust this company trust the decisions that they do make. And obviously they'll be making their money back as long as Wynn doesn't go belly up very quickly, um, which I don't necessarily think 
they're in a position to do that, at least from what I've been hearing. So that was a lot of talking. If you enjoyed this episode, that was everything that I found interesting this week in finance. Go ahead and leave a comment. Let me know what the most interesting story was. And if you ever have a story that you want to be covered on This Week in Finance, go ahead and leave a comment down below on any of the episodes. I'm always checking them, so I will see them. Shoot me a DM on Twitter. Shoot me a comment on TikTok or Shoot me a DM on Instagram. All of those ats are here. Or message me on public at Brendan Shima and say, hey, send me the link. Say, I want you to cover this story. Go ahead and talk about it. Do a little research on it. I will definitely get around to it and I'll make sure that I talk about it on This Week in Finance. So again, if you enjoyed, go ahead and leave a like. If you want to see more of these, go ahead, hit that subscribe button and then hit the little bell right next to it. That way you're notified when one of these new episodes comes out and I will see you all next week. But before that, I do want to go ahead and make this last mention here of Zencaster. They sponsored this episode. They sponsored the last two episodes as well, and they're going to continue to probably sponsor episodes in the future. So if you want to go ahead, check out that offer, hit that link down below, and you can get uh, 30% off your first three months. That's going to be Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com, Zencaster.com, or you can use my personal link, um, zen, Z-E-N dot A-I forward slash this week in finance zero. Go ahead, check that out. I really do appreciate it. And I will see you all next week.